You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. And thank you, worship team, for the music. I always think, I know what's coming uh, when I'm about to preach. David does not know what's coming when he chooses the songs, but they're always the perfect songs. Holy Spirit, yes, sometimes the Spirit does things that none of us can understand. How did that, how in the world did that happen? But week after week after week, uh, David chooses songs that are perfect for the text because he knows the Word. He is in the Word. So thank you, Jeff, everyone who has participated in the service. One of our core values is participation uh, of worship, and that means everybody is into it absorbing the, the words, even if you are not singing, which hopefully everyone will sing, but listening to the word, receiving the word. Uh, and I cannot tell you what a beautiful word it is today. I may make a mess of it on my end, but what I have <laughs> absorbed and processed this week is beyond amazing. I'm going to say that kind of thing all day. It's not hyperbole. It, it's truly it's not exaggerated. It's what it is if we believe these words. But I'll, I'll begin by asking uh, you a question, or maybe it's a question, it's not a question for you, it's a question about you. Who are you exactly? I mean, truly that question is more for you to answer for yourself than to satisfy my curiosity, although I'm always curious. So who are you? If we were meeting for the first time and I asked you that question, how would you respond? No matter what you say, no matter how you answer it, you would be revealing something about your identity or about how you see yourself. This will be especially true if I begin to ask comprehensive questions. Where are you from? What kind of what do you do? Are you in school? Uh, what about your successes and failures in life and your spiritual beliefs and experiences? And by the end of our time, you might be saying, who are you? Or maybe more uh, something more like, who do you think you are? Asking me questions like that. If you've ever wondered who you are, this morning's text may help answer your question. If you believe in Jesus, that is. And when I say believe in Jesus, I mean if your full trust is in his death on the cross as payment for your sins. If you have cried out to God asking for forgiveness and putting your only hope in Jesus. Then you are deeply loved and you belong to him and thus you have the privilege of belonging to a family, and that family has the privilege of proclaiming Jesus' gospel to the world. And you will be a witness both by the way that you love God's family and by what you say. This morning is the last of three Sundays in John 17. It's really great to have David Parker back. He's been deployed or he's been off somewhere keeping us safe. And he came back and he said, we're in John, right? And I'm like, yes, and I can't tell you how glad I am to be back in John. By the way, if this is your first time, do we still have 
Any, I don't know that there's anybody in here. Do we still have any journals, Keisha? Do you know we have any John journals left? We have some of those at the next steps table or unless we're out again. And you can keep up for at least from this point forward with what uh, we're learning in John. This entire chapter, John 17, is devoted to Jesus' prayer, which is divided into three parts. Jesus prays for God's glory to be seen. He prays for his disciples as they live in a world to be protected from Satan. They're in the world, but not of the world. And then he prays for the disciples' converts. And that brings you and me into this prayer. By name, we are prayed for this night before Jesus was crucified. Jesus' prayers for us. Here's another one of those descriptions is breathtaking in scope. Truly, if you if you stop to think about it, it would it would get your attention in such a way that you could hardly breathe. Our custom is to stand for the reading of scripture. Our text is John 17 verses 20 to 26. So if you would please stand, I will be reading from the English Standard Version. Jesus prays I do not, and he prays in the presence of his disciples, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be all, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world May believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. In, I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me, may be in them, and I in them. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you and be seated. Before we begin, I, I, I need to say a word to the note takers among us. And I know there are a lot of note takers. And some of you, you really don't feel like you can get this if you don't. I'm not saying don't take any notes. But I do want to say that there are going to be several lists and quotes on the screen this morning, and you're just not going to have time to write them all down. I usually try, that's part of my preparation, is to leave something on the screen long enough for you to write it. There's just no way for that to happen today. Uh, if you will go to the sermon section of our website, you'll be able to pull up the PowerPoint, and you can easily access the list and the quotes uh, from the from the message. It may be best this morning if you don't try to copy everything on the screen. 
that said, back to the original question, who are we other than a peculiar people in a postmodern age, as Michael Byrd uh, describes us? Who are we? We are those who have believed the gospel and committed our lives fully to Jesus. We believe and we belong to Jesus and to one another. We are those who have been sanctified by the truth. We looked at this verse last week. And notice it doesn't say your word is true. He says your word is truth. Jesus was praying about our relationship to doctrine or more specifically to the gospel. He was praying that we would understand the truth of the gospel, which points, of course, to relationship with Jesus. We are those who are in the world, but not of the world. We have not been called to isolate from the world, nor have we been called to lord over the world with our ways. There is only one Lord, and His name is Jesus. His kingdom is not yet fully established here on earth. But we represent Him, and even though we are exiles in a foreign land, we honor and worship the one Who will one day rule the earth? And we do so now, even while he is away. Jesus prayed that we would live up to the privilege and status we have been given. So now we're ready to work through today's text. In verse 20, Jesus prays for all who will believe the disciples proclamation for the gospel. Once again, that's us. If we believe that he was crucified on our behalf, he is praying for us. He prayed that we would be united with one another. You would be united with your brothers and sisters in Christ in such a way that the world will discern God's love for his people. When we love each other as we're called to do, the world takes notice. Jesus not only provided a model for our unity with his unity with the Father, but he also expressed the reality of our position in him. This has everything to do with our identity, both in this world and in the next. So returning to the interview that we imagine at the beginning of the message, it's likely at some point that I would have asked you or you would have volunteered the information. I would have said something like, are you a Christian? Or you may have said, I'm a Christian. Especially if the interview took place here at church. You know, you'd say, you may say, I'm a Christian. So what does the word Christian mean? This term is only used three times in the New Testament. And two of those times, it was almost certainly used in a derisive manner. Oh, there goes a little Christ. Only three times. It is a convenient description of our status, though, in this world, one who is like Christ. It's funny how we latch on to words, though, or descriptions that really aren't used that frequently frequently in Scripture. The New Testament uh, church leader is most often called overseer or elder, bishop or elder, and Elders are always plural in the New Testament church. But we have latched on to the word pastor, which is only used three times in the the noun form. 
in the New Testament. We like that image of of shepherd. We like a shepherd who is leading us. So possibly that's the reason. Well, we've done the same thing with Christian. It's, It's barely mentioned, only once for sure in a positive manner. And yet that's what we think about. On the other hand, our union with Christ was mentioned over 200 times in the New Testament with words like in Christ Jesus or Christ in you, the hope of glory, or with Christ. Could it be, I, I really thought about this until this week, but could it be that our identity as Christians keeps us from a deeper understanding of our union with Christ. It's like Jesus is over here and we're over here following behind. We are his disciples, but we're not part of him. Could it also be that we're uncomfortable thinking about being united with Christ, sinful beings that we remain even after We have been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. One of the the lines in in the second song caught me about no condemnation. Even though, even though we know who we are. If this truth makes you uncomfortable, then verse 21 is going to be really difficult for you. But if you'll hang with it, I suspect that it will encourage you greatly. Jesus prays that they, that's all of us, not praying for the disciples, he's praying, well, Disciples are included, but so are we. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Now, first, Jesus says that he's in the Father, Father is in him. This is the mutual indwelling of the Father and Son. And one of the statements that helps us understand the Trinity at a basic level, at least. We don't. We can never fully get the Trinity. But the, the, the Trinity is not saying that we have three separate gods, nor is it saying they're one God and they just he just reveals himself sometimes as Father, sometimes as Spirit, sometimes as Son. But they are interdwelling. They are, they are separate persons and yet of the same nature. So consequently, they indwell one another, and the decisions are always right, although there is definite order in the Trinity. Then seemingly, out of nowhere, Jesus asked that the ones for whom he is praying may be in the Father and the Son. What does that mean? I don't know, and you don't either. None of us can fully comprehend this now. We surely know enough not to think that we are becoming or will one day be part of God, that we will be divinity. Our desire to protect against extreme heresy, though, may prevent us from embracing the full blessing of our union with Christ. Therefore, our identity is dulled by a lack of understanding that we are, as Michael Horton says, one with God, not univocally or as in in exactly the same manner, but analogously. uh, And that, my friend, is utterly 
incomprehensible in this age. Not until we are in the presence of Christ will we fully understand. And our text is going to help prepare us for that day. Just let that sink in for a minute. Verse 22 is almost as breathtaking as verse 21. The glory that God the Father has given the Son has been given to us by Jesus. There is much that could be said about this truth, but let us content ourselves with this. We're going to go all the way to application of this verse. Our greatest glory, like Jesus, is found in the way of the cross. So, Jesus likely was including prayers for us in the suffering he knew that we would endure. William Barclay reminds us that we must never think of our cross as penalty, as our penalty. We must think of it as our glory. Now, maybe, I don't know, probably you don't use this in, in, in the next generation, you don't use this term, but man, we older ones have heard people all of our lives say, well, I just got to bear my cross. But it usually means, oh, this is a burden. But what a difference if we think of that not as a penalty, but as our glory. Since the glory for which Jesus prays is communal, it's not just little teeny lights of glory walking around. It's the glory that is seen when we commune together and even when we suffer together as well as rejoice together in the fullness of this life that we have been given. One with God, one with one another. There is a greater purpose for our oneness than the simple, albeit profound, pleasure of belonging to a community. You know what I'm hearing more and more often from those who don't belong to the church, like James Taylor, who said, um, and again, uh, with great apologies to this section over here. Dwayne's the only one over there that knows who James Taylor is, I'm sure. But a, a, a singer-songwriter from North Carolina who um, said, I am a jealous agnostic. I don't believe, but I wish that I did because I understand the benefit of the community of those who believe. And there's something about this community. It's not that he doesn't have other communities, but he recognizes that there is something about the family of God. And he misses that community that he's never had. Verse 23 informs us that our unity also serves the world as it observes us and suspects that the love that we have for one another is supernatural love, transcending what the world is able to achieve and offer. Do you think it would be attractive to the world 
when they ask you, how can you be at that church? Don't you know what they believe? Don't you know how they act? How can you? It's so opposite of what the culture believes and the ways that the culture acts. And then you respond with, it's true. We have different political views. We have social views that are different. We don't always agree with those each other on the social issues, but we love each other deeply. And Jesus is the reason that we love each other. We are one in him. All ages. Diverse as we can possibly be is the design. Do we wish we were more diverse racially? Yes, absolutely we do. Why? Because we're one in Jesus. We're one in him. Even if there is no initial appeal to those who might criticize your relationship with these believers that are beside you today, I imagine it's going to eventually be attractive to those who sooner or later are going to grow weary of the inevitable frustration and disappointment associated with staying current with the latest outrage. Maybe one of the reasons in verse 22 that Jesus has given us the glory that the Father gave him is to enable us in verse 24 to begin to comprehend the incomprehensible. We will see Jesus in all his glory. Do you see in Jesus' statement here almost an eagerness? He's like, oh, just like you are. Oh, I so want you to see this with me. I so want you to see what I've seen and know what I've known. I think he, he, he was. The glory then will affirm everything that we believe now. Living in this age where belief is ridiculed. The glory then will bring perfect perspective to our present suffering. Our glorification will be complete when we stand before Jesus in heaven or we would be unable to stand before him. If God does not glorify us fully, it will be far too much for us to, to, to receive. Perhaps Jesus addressed his father as righteous father in verse 25 because of what he was about to pray which really was more of a summary statement of the entire prayer than it was a request. Yet again, Jesus makes a distinction between those who believe and those who do not. Those who belong and those who do not. Your unbelieving family members and friends may find it increasingly difficult to understand how you persist in your beliefs, but you know something they don't know. The Father, His character, His ways have been made known to you by the Son and in the Spirit, with the Spirit. Verse 26 is a promise that we'll, we will continually be shown more of the Father's character. And his ways. And at the core of all we receive from him is love. 
A few hours after praying this prayer in the presence of his disciples, Jesus would embark on the greatest act of love and mercy of all time. He would go to the cross and bear our sins and drink the cup of God's wrath that was righteously being poured out against sin and sinners. He took our place so that all who repent and believe will be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Amen. In keeping with the pattern of the first two weeks of reflection on Jesus' prayer, we will close with three brief points of application, although not quite as brief as the last two weeks, but brief nonetheless. Beginning with, live as though everything Jesus prayed about you and for you is true. Wouldn't that be radical? <laughs> Here's the good news. You don't have to work up the faith to accomplish this. Faith is a gift from God that is strengthened by spiritual disciplines, especially time in the word and prayer. Sanctify them in the truth, Jesus prayed. Your word is truth. How thoroughly would your identity in Christ be formed if you believed all that Jesus prayed for you? I suspect that you would have confidence that your relationship with Jesus is secure. You would have the courage to take your stand with Jesus in the face of cultural opposition to the gospel? Well, how am I going to stand when they come for Christians? Well, you just believe what Jesus said is true. You would have the desire and willingness to cry out for divine help when temptation is near, when temptation is strong. The security in your relationship with God to love and forgive others freely, both those inside and outside the church family. And you would have the acceptance of suffering as glory that points to Jesus. This list describing the difference it would make in our lives if we believe Jesus was praying all these things for us could be much longer. But if you focus on the list, you miss the point. The point is Jesus' heart for you. It's all about him. And he is all about us. The point Jesus was praying, the point is Jesus was praying these same sorts of things for you. And he is to this day, even in heaven, right now, as we speak. These are the kinds of things that Jesus is praying for. Second, live in unity with your brothers and sisters as if the world's salvation depends on it. Because it does. When you get to the New Testament epistles in your Bible reading this year, count the number of times the writers encourage their readers to share the gospel with the lost and then go back and count 
the number of times they encourage their readers to love and forgive one another and to get along with one another. You will either be A, surprised, or B, shocked. Those are the only two options. Although America is changing rapidly, our ethos has historically been one of research, development, and sales. We like a good product. We like to sell it to others. We also like a good return on our investment. And we like strong individuals. So we have perhaps approached the dissemination of the gospel in a similar fashion. That's not a bad thing. God has used it. My goodness, the way the gospel is spread all over the world. And, and, and the population of the world exploded. 1.5 billion people alive in, in, in 1900. 7.5 billion in 2000. And Americans who believe in Jesus had a huge role in getting the gospel everywhere to people. So this is not a bad thing. I love the way that many of you share Jesus with almost everyone you meet. And you do so according to biblical instruction. But our efforts in the past have been aided by a strong commitment in our nation to religious freedom. But the times they are a changing, and you don't know how hard it was not to do a Bob Dylan imitation just now. One of the primary ways God draws people to himself is to allow them to observe and experience the unity of God's children, a supernatural unity in truth that brings people together that would naturally be incompatible. When the world sees the love that we have for one another, they witness a love that is greater than any love they have ever known. That's the plan anyway. It's like being homesick for a place they've never been before. For this to happen though, we must love one another well. Love is far more effective at winning hearts than rational arguments for the gospel. I see this more clearly than I've ever seen it before. And do not misunderstand. The gospel must be proclaimed. Romans 10 makes it clear. If the gospel is not proclaimed, they can't believe because they can't believe in one that they haven't heard of. So there's that progression. We have to share truth with people. But love often leads the way. Jesus prayed that we would understand that love truly is the answer. And it is, in fact, the answer that provokes the question. Hansers von Balthasar beautifully expressed this sentiment when he said that love alone is credible. Nothing else can be believed and nothing else ought to be believed. Allison often quotes Maya Angelou, who said, people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. That reflects the tone of Balthazar's quote, and both have the faint echo of Jesus' prayers for his disciples and for us. Look, the closer 
error is to truth, the more dangerous it is. But there are echoes of truth everywhere in the culture. This expressive love to which God calls us is first directed toward the body of Christ and then to the world. The last point of application. Live in anticipation of God's ultimate work of glorification in you when you see Jesus in his full glory. If you have recently had the notion, you know, I may be having an identity crisis, then hopefully this time in today's word uh, and text has encouraged you. Jesus' prayer in John 17 is the very heart of God being revealed to his children. Jesus was excited for believers to see the fullness of his glory in and throughout eternity. All is implied here. Everything is is on the table. It's all part of it. God's glory, our understanding, the forgiveness of sins and salvation, (coughs) our sanctification, and our completed glorification. All this is likely the meaning of the truth of Hebrews 12, 2, where we are told that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And when he appears, 1 John 3, 2, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And this goes back to the first point of the application, doesn't it? Live as though everything Jesus prayed about you and for you is true. Do you believe it's true? I do. And I know you do too. And so let us confess, Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Let's pray. Well, Father, this was almost too much for me to absorb over several days of study. So I can only imagine what it feels like to try to take it in just a little over a half hour. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes and hearts and minds to the truth. And open our hearts and minds and souls to one another. And may we long, as the people of God did in the first century, that others may know this beautiful one whom you sent to die for our sins. May they know Jesus. Lord, keep us looking to you all through our time on earth as we anticipate what it means to be glorified and in your presence. May that make a difference in the way that we live. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand for the benediction?
Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.